Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So please take a minute and visit NBCOcala.com stories to share your story. And if God has used this ministry to touch your life in any way, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. Help us to continue delivering God's word to the world. You can give online or through our mobile giving app. Enjoy today's message. How many of y'all were here this last Wednesday for our healing service? It was just a, in, in a power, uh, powerful, powerful time. And Tim, we actually showed his story this past Wednesday. And then it was re- real cool because he and his family were here. He came up and he actually shared about, about his journey and his victory over cancer. And then he, he prayed over everyone who was facing a similar diagnosis and just prayed against the fear that accompanies that. Just a, just a very, very incredible night. And so I'd encourage you to go back on our website and to uh, check that out. But um, it is good to be with you all today. If, you are, if you're joining us for the first time, my name is Lee Gilligan. I'm one of the assistant pastors here, and I'm not Pastor Tim. Um, if we want to be technical, though, my first name is Tim, so you could say that you came today and you saw Pastor Tim. And you weren't lying because he's here too. And uh, I know some of you are like, well, he's back now, right? You know, someone came up bef- to me before first service and she goes, why are you teaching today? <laughs> I said, because I'm awesome? I, I don't know. <laughs> No, but the truth is, Dad and I arm wrestled for it, and I won because he's still recovering, so I'm up. <laughs> but in all actuality, before he had even gotten hurt, we had, uh, were kind of talking and saying that in the new year, we were going to shoulder more of the teaching load uh, come 2016. So him falling, it, that was just kind of uh, uh, a reason to jumpstart that and start that process sooner. So he's been back the last few weeks. I'm grateful to be back up here today continuing our series on the missing piece. Have you all enjoyed this series so far? You know, there's a, a level of peace that's available to everyone, but so many people don't know that it is, in fact, peace that's what's missing. So they try to fill that void with all kinds of other things. And then beyond that, people who do realize it's peace, uh, a lot of us don't know quite where to find it or when we have it, how we can keep it. And so that's been our goal through this series is how to find and keep peace, the type of peace that God has designed and desires for us. And so we've looked at uh, week one kind of talking about peace with God, that if we want peace in this life, automatically it's going to start through a connection with our Father. Uh, We've looked at peace with ourselves, that really peace with ourselves comes in light of, you know, seeing ourselves the way that he sees us. These last two weeks, pastors walked through essentially finding peace in our circumstances and then today I want to talk to you about a, a brand of peace, uh, and that is peace with others. Peace with others. How many of y'all, if I were to ask you that question, you would say that you want to live at peace with others? I mean, that, that should be a, a resounding yes, that, that we want to get along with the people that are in our lives. But I would be willing to ask that question again and say, do you really want to live at peace with others? And, and many of you may say, well, why would you ask that again? Of, of course I do. And I think we like the idea of peace with others, but a lot of times we're not, we don't desire it so much that we're willing to put in the work or to do what it takes to establish ongoing peace in our relationships. You see, peace with others is probably one of the more complex forms of peace to keep because peace with God, really, I, I think that's easy. I, I think that's the easiest. God is waiting for us. He is waiting for us to, to surrender to him, to humble our, ourselves before him and approach him. And, and when we do so, that's when we find that peace. Peace with ourselves even is easier because, you know, when we see ourselves the way God sees us, that's where we start to find it. But peace with others can be a lot more complex because it's not just about us. 
It's about others. It involves other people, with, with, with other people with a flesh and with opinions and different points of view and different ways of thinking and believing and different ways that we communicate those things. And, 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 and that can be very difficult. Um, today may be a, a, a funny day for me to talk about peace with others because in a few hours from now, we're, we're going to gather at friends and, and family's house for the Super Bowl, right? It's the most widely televised, celebrated sports event in all the world. And the truth is, you're probably going to be rooting against your, you know, some of your friends and your family. Maybe your teams are divided. Maybe you're like me and your team didn't make the Super Bowl. Uh, the last time I was up here on, on a Sunday morning, I so proudly sported my Seattle Seahawks dress socks in an act of bravery. And, and I made such bold statements as the Seahawks were going to beat the Panthers and that Jesus actually favored our quarterback, Russell Wilson. And I think, honestly, that's where I crossed the line kind of doomed my team that day. And so I stand here today, you know, I look at scripture and it says that pride comes before a fall. And so I stand and I realize I I, I am humbling myself before you. I will never use my team again as as a sermon illustration before you. But I will say this, I will say this, I am rooting for the Broncos. And uh, that's twofold. I, I hope that they beat the Panthers and, and redeem what the Seahawks couldn't do. And then second, I want Peyton Manning to win another one. Because he's like 62 years old, right? Oh, I'm sorry, 39. But in football years, that's 62. So it's very similar to dog years. But enough sports for today. You'll you'll get your fill of that tonight. Peace with others. Peace with others. How many of you all know we don't come out of the womb selfless? Come on, let's be real. We come out of the womb very much selfish beings. We, we are born into this world selfish. Selflessness does not come instinctually, and that's why we have to teach children. One of their first lessons is, is sharing, teaching them that, that they can't always have it their way, how to acclimate them to this world, that there are other people with other needs. And, and you know, babies, they, they want what they want, when they want it, how they want it, and if they don't get it, they cry and they scream and they pitch a fit. And that's okay as a baby, but we've got to teach them how to live in this world. But a lot of times I go around and I just see a bunch of big babies walking around. I'm not calling anyone out. We've all been guilty at some time or another where we want what we want, how we want it, when we want it. And if we don't get it, we pitch a fit, we make it known. And a lot of times that comes at the expense of peace with others. And and peace with others is too important. We have too many relationships in this life to just go through without making conscious effort to have peace. Because there, there's people we like, there's people we don't like, there's people we choose to be around, and there's people we have to be around. But if we want to live a peaceful life, we've got to do what it takes to live at peace with all of those people. You know, you've got your spouse, you, you've, you've got kids, you've got parents, you've got siblings, you've got in-laws. Thankfully, I, I married in a family, I have good in-laws. Maybe not everyone is, is so blessed, and you're nudging your spouse right now, kind of like, yeah. All right, and if that's you, don't, don't raise your hand or anything. We've got, we've got that boss that, you know, some of you don't like your boss. You don't have a great relationship with them. There's those, those coworkers or those cubicle mates that you can't stand to see each day. There's, there, there's church people, okay, right now. We, we've, got, we've got the church people right here. And you, you see the same people every week. You probably sit in the same areas. And so you have on your church face and, and your church clothes. And, and you get excited. And we come together and we sing and we smile and tell people they look good and all that. But then when service is out in, in 20 minutes here or so, and you dash to the parking lot and get in your car and cut off half of those people so you can get to Golden Corral, <laughs> how's your peace level doing then? Peace can be a complex thing. I think we find out how hard it is to be at peace with someone when you live with someone. 
Um, for those of you who, who may be engaged right now and you're sitting next to your, fian- your fiancé and you're just so in love and you can't wait to finally get married and wake up next to each other. Uh, I'm here to tell you that the puppy love stage wears off. The honeymoon ends. And one day you'll wake up and be like, wait, they're still here. Like, <laughs> like this isn't all love. There's actually work involved. And, and, and I, I, you know, thankfully I, I went to college and so I had a roommate to, to prepare me for the fact that a lot of times existing with someone else in the same small space, that takes work. And, and, and I transferred down to Southeastern University as a junior. And so I was coming in as a junior, but I was placed in the freshman dorm. So I was with all these young guys who were just excited to be there, excited to start college, party, have fun, stay up all night, do all that stuff. And I was like already focused on the next phase of my life. I wanted to finish school. I wanted to move on and, and, and start a career and do all that. And so that was already like a test of my patience. But then further, my roommate, we were good friends. We had a lot in common, but I didn't realize how hard it was to live with him until I actually lived with him. Now, thankfully, to this day, we're still friends, but we were very different. Um, Despite some of our common interests, we had a lot of things where where we weren't the same. I'm very particular and and OCD and and neat and orderly, and he's the exact opposite. Everything was always a mess. And when you're in a 10 by 12 space, that that gets old real quickly. I I remember stuff. I'm very much about margin and planning and preparation and guarding my study time. And he was you know, up all night and losing stuff, forgetting things. It just, it was a struggle. And so after our first semester, I, I, I had a talk with him over the phone and I said, coming back after Christmas break, uh, we're going to have to institute some things. We're going to have to make a conscious effort to fix some things so that we can have a peaceful spring semester. And so we agreed to that. And, and, and I came back uh, the, the night I was returning to campus. It was about close to 10 o'clock at night. And I, and I walk uh, up my hall, and there's guys all over. And I get to my door, and my door's wide open. And so I'm thinking, we're already off to a bad start. He, he left the door open. That was the kind of forgetfulness he'd have. He'd lose his towel, and then I'd find out that he'd been drying off with a hoodie for half the semester. Like, stuff like that. <laughs> So our room is wide open. Anyone could have wiped out my snack stash. Anyone could have <laughs> taken my TV. You know, priorities. All my stuff was susceptible. And so I'm thinking, I'm just mad at him. This is the semester hasn't even started and I'm mad. So I come in, I slam the door, I throw my bag, I'm unpacking, but I'm, I'm griping about him and saying stuff under my breath. And after about a couple minutes of this, I hear like a rustling noise. So I kind of stop and I look and he's laying on the top bunk. He had rolled over in the bunk in his sleeping bag. And I'm just like... You know, I felt the color leave my face. You know when you're talking about someone and you just keep going and someone else is like, you know, and you're missing the signal? They're like, they're right behind you. It, it was like that, that feeling. And to this day, I really don't know if he heard half the things I said. But we ended up making it. The next semester, we decided it would be best to have other living arrangements. And we are friends to this day. But peace does not happen automatically in relationships. It has to be a priority. If we're going to have peace in our relationships, it has to be a priority. We have to make intentional effort, really on, on, on both sides. In Matthew seven twelve, Jesus said, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. What you wish others would do to you, you've got to do also to them or, or for them. Maybe you've heard it this way, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's not just a a cute thing that we learn when we're children growing up, but it is the words of Jesus. It is a command for life, and and it's a key to living at peace with others. And so, really, we say that that we believe in God. We, We say that we are at peace with God and at peace with ourselves and doing our best to live a righteous Christian life. But I believe the fruit of that really is measured through how we treat other people. The fruit of our peace level with God is is evident in the fruit of our relationships. 
And so there cannot be a disconnect or a breakdown between what you say you believe and how you treat others. Because you can say that you're pursuing God and you're at peace with him all day, but if you are at odds with everyone in your life, if there's strife and there's, and there's you know, loose ends and people that you've offended and you're doing nothing to make it right, I believe that is fruit, really, of the true level of peace that you have in your life. There cannot be a disconnect between that. So I want to I look today at some things, how we can approach peace in our relationships. Is that something you all need? I'll be real. First service, they were, they were like the lively crowd today. They were well caffeinated. Second service, they were like asleep. And so you guys, I'm expecting y'all to, to step it up a bit. The Super Bowl's in a few hours. We'll get there. But right now, this is the Super Bowl. All right? So, again, let me ask the question. How many want peace with others? You say you want to live at peace with others. Okay. I think we all say that. But, but a lot of times, really, we don't put in the work to have that peace, we just kind of exist on our relationships through uh, com- uh, conflict resolution. We, we, we kind of just are resolving conflict. We're not going deeper to, to um, you know, have peace and establish that on an ongoing basis. We just kind of handle conflicts as they arise. And conflict resolution is important. It's ha- it has its place. It's necessary in relationships that you resolve a conflict, but that can't be your recipe for long-term peace. Now, me in my life, I, I can't stand to be in strife with other people. I can't stand for there to be like unrest and division and to know that I'm at odds with someone. And, and, and if at all possible, I'll do everything I can to try and reach peace or to make it right because it just eats away at me. I lose sleep. I don't eat. It, it bugs me, especially if I find out that there was something I said that was misconstrued or someone took it the wrong way and they, they've been an offense at me. Like that just, that hurts me. And so I want to try and fix it and make peace. And my brother, Josh, he was, he's very much the same way growing up, but his approach was a little different. And so as, as two guys growing up together, we would get into it a lot. There was a lot of times we didn't agree or a lot of times we'd fight over something and, and, and we would always make it right. But a lot of times he wanted to make it right quicker than I did. He would literally, we'd literally be like at the point of almost throwing fists. And like a minute later, he's back in my room and says, I'm sorry for dot, dot, dot. Do you forgive me? And so you say, oh, that's good. He was was seeking forgiveness. No, there there was underlying motives. That was his way of quickly resolving it so that he could, you know, be off. And, and, and by him saying, do you forgive me? It was putting the ball in my court so that if I did not forgive him, he said, well, my hands are clean. You're, you're the one that's choosing to hang on to this. And so he'd come to me, do you forgive me? Do you forgive me? He'd like, like press me. I'm like, bro, it's been like two minutes and, and, and I will forgive you and we will make this right. But if we're going to get to that place, I need to like process. I need some space to actually cool down from what just happened. Do you forgive me? Do you forgive me? And he'd just keep pressing, like, and it would just drive me crazy. And then he would pull the Bible card, and he would say, if you don't forgive me, your Father in heaven doesn't forgive you. (laughs) And so we'd, like, get right back into it all over again because of this, like, forced forgiveness that wasn't really resolving anything. And a lot of times in life, I think that's really our approach to conflict resolution. We're trying to resolve a conflict, but really, our pride inside, the biggest thing we want is for someone else to admit they're wrong and to say that we're right. That's our, that's our approach to conflict resolution. For them to say that we're right, admit that they're wrong, and somehow that resolves it, but it also justifies us in our stance through that process. Or if we can't reach that, then we come to this place where we say, okay, well, if we can't agree, then we'll just agree to disagree. You've heard that said. Uh, but neither, neither one of those things are, are, are peace. They're, they're substitutes. They're lesser than. Really, uh, a lot of times our approach, we're just trying to win an argument. We can't leave it just to conflict resolution because that's uh, just treating a symptom. 
pursuing peace, putting in the work at a deeper level, that gets to the core. That's, that's, a, that's a higher goal. But when we're just resolving conflict as it pops up, that's very much a reactive stance to a relationship. It's not proactive at all. Have you ever played the game in an arcade, Whack-A-Mole? where you have the little grid and there's these holes and these moles keep popping up and you've got like this padded hammer and you just hit the moles and they get faster and faster and you're trying to keep up and the more you get, the the better score you get. But a lot of times I see that as our approach to relationships. We're not putting in any any deep work to try and establish peace. Just every time a conflict pops up, we're like boom, 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 boom. We're just trying to keep up and we're treating a symptom. That can't be our approach to to a relationship. If we're going to Get to the core issue. We've got to be willing to lay aside some things really to pursue peace. And you're not responsible for anyone else. You're responsible for you. You're responsible for you. You're not responsible for how they'll react, how they'll respond, what they'll say. But you're responsible for you, which I believe, which I believe means that you should do everything on your part to, to reach peace. That you should be willing to change on your part. That, that you would, would be willing to humble yourself and step toward some middle common ground for the sake of reaching peace with that person. Now, don't hear me wrong. I am not implying that for peace that you, uh, you falter on your beliefs or that you change the, 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 the truths of God's word or something, a conviction, an ethic that you stand by. I'm not saying you falter in those for peace because I, I, I don't believe Jesus um, advocated compromising for peace at any price. So he doesn't call us to do the same. There were plenty of times the religious leaders, he could have made them happy. He could have reached peace by telling them what they wanted to hear. But in doing so, he would have violated God's principles. So I'm not saying you falter in your beliefs. But I am implying that you have a change of heart. Search your heart. Say, is there anything impure in my heart? Have I been patient? Have I been forgiving? Have I been loving? Have I, have I, is there anything I'm holding on to that has held me back in my heart? from pursuing peace with this person. Peace may require a change of heart, but it will never require a change in belief. So stand firm on what you believe, but be humble enough to check your heart in effort for peace. Amen? Amen. Now, when you're pursuing peace or even resolving conflict, a lot of times there's something that comes up in relationship, and it's, it's this word confrontation. Confrontation. How many of y'all have ever been in a confrontation? Confrontation is is not always bad. It's often necessary where you confront an issue or you have to talk through something with someone. You have to work it out. I I believe it's something that happens in all of our lives uh, really pretty frequently. But the truth is no one enjoys confrontation. No one, no one really likes it. It's, it. It can be very awkward. It can be very sticky. We don't like the, the, the results of it a lot of times because we don't know how someone else is going to respond. There's no right and wrong book of how, how to do it. You kind of just have to step out in boldness and be willing to confront an issue with someone regardless of how they might react. And so because we don't like the discomfort that accompanies um, confrontation, we will often ignore the issue. Or we'll we'll make excuses for the issue that we're facing just because we don't want to deal with the mess of it. So we'll make excuses, we'll slide it under the rug, we'll move it to the back burner, we'll act like it doesn't exist. And really what happens is we end up ignoring issues. So we're only ignoring them, but they're still there. So therefore, those issues get suppressed. And then when other issues pop up that we don't confront, it all compounds. And then one day, it's just going to build to this big thing. You're going to have this World War III between you and whoever. And it could have been avoided had you been willing enough to have some healthy 
um, confrontation at the beginning. You know, this is especially dangerous in, in marriages. A lot of times, spouses, we, we, just, we don't want to deal with the, the, the stickiness and the awkwardness of, of confronting every little thing. So we make excuses. We, we buy time. We, we put it off. We, we, we make light of it. And, and it's very dangerous. And, and, and I won't act like my wife and I have it all together. We, we, you know, we're always learning. We're always growing. We're, we celebrate seven years this April. And, and one thing we do have pretty much for the most part figured out is we're both very black and white. Okay, and, and that can be dangerous, but it can also be very good for, for this way. We, I never look at her and have to wonder what she's thinking. She'll tell me. <laughs> but in, in the same way, she never has to wonder what I'm thinking. I'll, I'll tell her. Like, we, we're open. And so when there's an issue, we don't, like, you know, dance around the issue or pretend it's not there. We confront it. We talk through it. And so while that means at times there may be ongoing spats, We've never had a, a knockdown, drag-out fight because we've never suppressed stuff. We've never ignored it. We just handle it. And that's really one of the healthy benefits of confrontation is that you handle something right then and there. You don't ignore it. You don't make excuses for it so that it really just becomes suppressed and builds up along with other issues. You've got to guard that in your life. So really, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your workplace, you have to decide. You've got to ask the question, how much do I value this relationship? How much do I value this person that I'm at odds with? If I value it enough that I want to see peace here, then I'm willing to embrace the awkwardness of confrontation in hopes that we might arrive at a place of peace. You have to ask yourself how much you value it. At times, there would be some of you who say, no, I don't value that relationship enough to confront. And if it's your boss, I would strongly encourage you, don't go in tomorrow morning and confront your boss and tell him that your pastor told you to do it because it's not going to go well for any of us. But I would say that when you look at relationships, you've got to at least be willing to try. Paul said this in Romans 12, 18. He said, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. He's not saying so far as depends on everyone else around you and their opinions and what they're going to do. But as much as depends on you, you're responsible for yourself. You can give account for yourself. Do everything on your part to live peaceably with all, meaning that you let nothing on your part prevent peace. I'm calling you to that today. Let nothing on your part prevent peace in your relationships. If peace cannot be established in that relationship, then be able to look back at that and say, I honestly did everything on my part to work towards peace. And even then, do your best to live peaceably with that person. So Paul says something here that's also key, not just the fact that it depends on you, but he says to live peaceably with who? Live peaceably with who? All. All. So that implies not just the people that you love, just the people you enjoy or that see exactly like you do and dress exactly like you do. No, that implies all people. It's, it's very uh, similar to the instruction that Jesus gave us. In Matthew 22, verses 34 through 39, Jesus is approached by the Pharisees. And as they often do, they want to trap him in in, in what it is that he's saying. They want to get him to contradict himself or to say something that would promote the law. And so in verse 34, it says, When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second that is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest commandment, love God with everything you have. And the second one, just like it, 
love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the religious leaders, they were looking for a command. They were looking for thou shalt not fill in the blank. And if you do that, thou shalt not, here's the consequence. That, that's what they were looking for. And of course, Jesus doesn't give them that. He says, greatest commandment, love. Love God first, love others second. And really, the second flows from the first. Some translations say that the second and of equal importance, love your neighbor as yourself. Meaning that the second is founded on the first. The second flows from the first. If we truly love God, then we will truly love our neighbor. This has been like the natural progression of this series, that peace starts with God. And if we can establish that, then we can find peace with ourselves. And if we're really living a peaceful life, then we should be able to do what it takes to live at peace with the people around us. It's this natural progression. If we love God, then we should love others. We have no excuse. Our love walk with others is the fruit of what we say we believe. I'd like to imagine that the religious leaders were, were probably wanted to split hairs with Jesus. Okay, so then who is, who is our neighbor, right? Have you ever read that verse and asked, you know, tried to qualify who your neighbor was? Is Jesus talking about everyone or, or just the people that I, you know, that I like, that I choose to be around? But no, here, here's what it is. In the Greek, neighbor is this word plesion. Plesion. And, and, and what it really refers to is nearness or, or proximity. So when you look at your life, you have a home with, with probably a family and a neighborhood, and you get in your car, and you drive to school, or to work, and you, so you have realms of influence, you have circles that you do life in, and so I believe your neighbor is everyone that you would come in contact with in those realms of life. That is who Jesus is referring to when he says, your neighbor. Jesus is, is advocating extending our love, not just to our friends, but to our enemies alike. He's destroying any distinction between the two. In fact, elsewhere in Matthew 5, 43, he says, You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. (laughs) Elsewhere, other people have said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is so different from the way a lot of us lead our lives. We, we love the people we want to love. We love the people that are like us, but the people that may speak against us or our faith or our beliefs or don't believe like us or dress like us or think or act or walk like us, we, we, we make allowances for that. And we don't walk in love with them and we, and we don't lift them up in prayer. And Jesus is saying that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. This is really the point. You guys are quiet, and I think it's because I'm hitting a nerve. Love all people because Jesus loves all people. We are called to love all people because Jesus loves all people. The God who, who created you and who loves you created all those people that you're not walking in love with. And guess what? He loves them just as much as he loves you. He died for each and every one of us with all our flaws, all our imperfections, as, as, as misfits as we are. He loves us where we're at. And so who are we to justify not living at peace with someone else because of a difference or not walking in love or not doing everything on our part to establish peace with those people? My friends, love all people because Jesus loves all people. As we, as we prepare to close, I, I want you to kind of look at the big picture. You know, at, throughout me talking this morning, you're probably thinking in regards to um, your family, your, your marriage, your, your, your workplace, the people that you're regularly close to. And, and peace has to be a priority in those areas. I hope that God has spoke something through me today that has hit you uniquely in your situation 
so that you can uh, apply that truth and see change because of it. But ultimately, when we look at peace, we need to step back and look at the world that we're living in. Look how crazy it is. Look how increasingly dark and devoid of peace our world is becoming. At at every turn, at, at every flip of the channel, Every update on your phone, every headline, every conversation, you turn and there's division left and right. Division and and corruption. There's political parties who who can't agree on anything. Everyone's just pushing their own agenda. There's churches that are splitting because of doctrinal differences. There's denominational splits. There's countries that are at odds with each other and going to war. There's families that are being torn apart by divorce and infidelity. Division is an attack of the enemy. And I believe that if we are going to stop division anywhere in the world, we have to be able to stop it here in the church. I'm not talking about one hour a week where we come and we sit in our, in our, our spot and do our holy things and then we leave and go back out into the world. I'm talking about the big C, the local church, God's hope for the world, God's plan A, that, that the church would rally together, that the church would be unified and that we would be living at peace here Because if the church is not at peace, and if the church is not in line with what we're saying to each other and how we're treating each other, then how are we ever going to make a difference outside the church? How is anything we're ever going uh, going to do uh, be attractive or, or make anyone else desire the type of life we have if they see that we have no more peace than they do? Peace has to start in the church. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's not just a verse to promote church attendance or small group involvement, but I think really it's about the church being the church. Jesus' return is near. You do know that, right? Now, I'm not not up here saying that he's coming at this day at this time. No one knows the day. No one knows the hour, but as long as we're on this earth, as long as there's breath in our lungs and we wake up another day, that means we are that much closer to the return of Jesus coming for his church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not and cannot prevail against it. And if we are going to rise up, if we are truly going to be the church of Jesus Christ, we've got a lot of work to do. And it starts first and foundationally with us living at peace with others. If peace must be present, Our peace must be present in the church before it can be made with the world. Peace starts here, guys. We've got to be at peace with others. And really, let's think about it this way. God saw all of us in our mess. We were trapped on our own. We couldn't, you know, we were up a creek without a paddle. And Jesus came and he made a way. He closed the gap between man and between God. And it's because of him that we have peace. And no one of you is more worthy than the person next to you. God loves each and every one of us, and we must love all people because Jesus loves all people. Did you get anything out of this today? Thanks for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NBC Ocala.